see how long we could do that for <laughs> so you went out 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 into the world i did struck out on your own sure in so far as your- like somebody who has eight <laughs> different pairs of slippers in their house yep sought your fortune yep found yourself a lawfully wedded wife yep the print run the podcast <laughs> wife it's a title man yeah the podcast um, wife so you got hitched, Laura. Sure did. Why don't, why, don't, why don't you tell the listeners about getting hitched for a second? How do you feel? Do you feel good? I feel relieved. Yeah. Um, I feel relieved. So I was thinking about it. Somebody asked me, they're like, what was the favorite part of your wedding? And my initial response was, in my in my head, was when it was over. Um, but really, that's not <laughs> true. Well, it kind of is true. But, but what yeah. was the true part of it yeah. is that... It was super great. Like, I loved every part of the wedding. I loved that everybody had glasses of champagne during the ceremony, or as Eric and I now call it, champ. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that really caught on in me, in the bridesmaid room. It really did. (laughs) And now Eric, yeah, and now, like, everybody, Eric, like, is calling it that, and they know that you invented it. Um, Yeah, so, Mm, like, everybody had champ during the (laughs) ceremony. And, you know, we had some killer tunes mm-hmm. and an actual DJ who, yeah, like, that, spun stuff. I like that my job for most of the day was just to, like, stand in the corner and play Christina Aguilera. Yeah. Um, and I like to think I succeeded. You sure did. Um, you also played so, Rihanna. Yes, I did. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so that was great. We had a yeah. grand old time. Yeah. No, it was, it was good. Um, it was a lovely ceremony. It was nice to see you. So happy, my friend. Aww. Um, did you cry? Because I cried at your wedding. Oh, you did? Yeah. Wow. I also got a little verklempt when I saw you, like, in person, just, like, sporting that shiny ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was that was emotional for me. Because <laughs> your fingers have been naked for so long. Just some nude fingers, folks. <laughs> um, and with that, now that our fingers are no longer nude, I would just like to say Welcome. To this episode of Print Run, it's great to be back. Um, my name is Eric Kane. With me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, lawfully wedded Laura. Hello, lawfully wedded Laura. <laughs> um, so we've got a kind of a, I guess I wouldn't necessarily call it a fun show for you today, so it'll be fun, but we're kind of talking about something that is less than fun, though I think we'll do it in a fun way. Um, but it's fun but, to laugh at yourself right, and exa- your own tragedies. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but before we before we get into any of that, um, catch us up. I don't even remember what's in the rundown. I don't even remember what this show is. Tell, tell me what's happening. Yeah. So this is, folks, you're going to have to bear with us because this is what we call being rusty. Yeah, we're getting back into it. We're feeling loose. <laughs> we're stretching. Yeah. We're not pulling a hammy. Nope. Uh, we could pull a hammy while stretching, though. That seems like something we would do. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Okay. So because we uh, we took time off at the very end of September for Eric's nuptials, and then there was a two-week-long hellscape for me to, like, swim through before I got to my own wedding. Um, This is the first time you're hearing from us this month. That means that those of you who are Patreon subscribers 
haven't yet had any special episodes. But never fear, because it is not yet the 31st. That's right. That's right. We never miss it. We're never going to miss it. We're never, never going to miss it, because yeah. we're, we're, we're going to kill it. So it'll be all three special episodes will be up by next week. Um, Query Show will be up this week. And then we should have a First Pages episode for you next week, as well as we have a really fun craft episode coming mm-hmm. up. We're doing an entire special episode on sagging middles. Or, in other terms, <laughs> what is happening to the print run recording room after our nuptials. Yeah. Um, so it seemed like the right time to do it, folks. Um, and we actually we have actually gotten a few different people who have asked, like, hey, we you guys talk so much about novel openings. You know, you talk about um, how to start off strong. And sometimes we, you know, we've done a few craft episodes that have even focused on, or I mean, the writing by reading episodes that have been focused on, like, the beginnings of books. Right. And, um, we haven't ever really talked about how to keep things alive in the middle, and so we thought we'd do a writer episode on that. So Right. Wonderful. So that's what we'll be doing. Definitely stay tuned. You have to, to have access to that, you need to be an $8 a month subscriber. So if you're not yet that, head on over to patreon.com and sign yourself up. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we're probably going to be a lot less rusty by that point. Yeah, no, we're going to be really good. I'm catching up as we speak. Yep. So I'm like pounding wine. (laughs) (laughs) That's part of the catch-up process, Eric. So for those of you who have queries or first pages or questions, remember at the end of episodes, we either have a pub tip or a Tulum It May Concern, which is our new uh kind of dear abby style segment Mm -hmm. but without the transphobia um so (laughs) so yeah i know back up no you're sounding great i have warmed back up thank you (laughs) Uh, send them to us. We're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. As always, you can also ask us a shorter, smaller thing by using the hashtag AskPrintRun on Twitter. So we've missed, we've been gone for about three weeks. This we is have. the longest amount of time that we've ever been gone. Is it? That must mm. be. No, I think you're right. I think, yeah, because I went, Sometimes I went holidays, to Morocco yeah. for two and a half weeks yeah. last year, but I feel like we, this is the longest. Yeah. I feel like this is the longest. Right. Um, So we've missed a lot of stuff. So we very conveniently uh, have decided to give you all of our like three weeks worth of takes (laughs) in an in a in a short bit of an episode for Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're just going to rip through them really, really quickly Mm -hmm. and we're going to give our takes. Okay. Are Mm -hmm. we ready? Are we limber? I'm feeling pretty limber. Yeah. Great. First thing. Crown and Random House merged. Whew, I'm going with fine, but maybe leaning toward bad. Fine? Yeah, I mean, you're probably going to get layoffs and stuff out of this, which is always shitty, but... And, you know, fewer so. auction-y, houses <laughs> sort of things. I don't know. So we've adjusted to bad. We've adjusted um, to, like, was, bad, but... Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, next. Great. <laughs> um, apparently, the uh, prevalence of smartphones are killing the book industry in Iceland. Bad. Yep, correct. Yeah. 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 Uh, the Man Booker was awarded to Milkman. That seemed good. I'm going with good on that one. Yeah, um, a little, a little <laughs> surprising, but in retrospect, not really, because last year it went to Lincoln and the Bardo, which was probably the most like famous and mainstream of yeah. the books. Yeah. Um, and then this year it went to the ones where like so now the big thing is everybody's talking about like is the Man Booker obsolete and like. And everybody's getting mad because they don't think that this book is going to be um, appealing mm-hmm. to booksellers. So it seems like they've gone in completely the ro- the opposite direction, which feels very man booker. Maybe so. nobody knows anything. Do you ever think about that? Like maybe 
the award is just like fine and like our like death knell of it every year is like not at all founded on anything maybe it's just like that? a skunk who's in an empty room <laughs> and then there's all the books laid out and then they just like spray on the book that wins mm-hmm. yeah that's I don't see any reason why that wouldn't be what's true. Um, that so. All that saying, I think Milkman is probably a really good book, and I look forward to reading it eventually. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there was a bit thing on Twitter where uh, a writer got mad that somebody said that somebody told them that they were excited that the book was going to come out and that they were looking forward to checking it, checking it out at the library. Oh, yeah. Semicolon. <laughs> <laughs> Then they went on to mention that you're only a good friend if you buy the book your friends write. Hmm. Basically, anytime anyone starts talking about that, my response is that it's bad. Um, yeah. Libraries are good. We're gonna we're gonna put that in the classism good, in is the bad. <laughs> As is that yes. Um, so I think you know these stupid little Twitter things that people do where they start decrying what your friends are going to do or not do. I I always end up you know. And don't bring libraries into this. The libraries are good. Yeah. When your book comes out, Eric, I'm going to buy like 18 <laughs> copies and I'm going to like reserve it in both the Hennepin County and the St. Paul Public Libraries because that is how you get books into people's hands. That's going to be really good, too, because you're going to be like 65 when that happens. So <laughs> I'll need something I'll like... <laughs> to do at that point, quite honestly. Yeah. All right. Next time. Uh, or next thing. So DV Pit, which is a Twitter contest, happened, and an agent who had previously said bad things about the contest um, was kind of jumping in and said that marginalization uh, was a good marketing tactic I'm for gonna, your book. Like being marginalized was a good tactic. I'm gonna go ahead and put that in the bad category. Yep. I'm gonna say that that is a little bit wrong-headed. Mm. Um, I think for reasons that anyone who listens to this show for as long as they have um, can easily identify. So. Yeah, great. Okay. Uh, founder of the Little Free Library died. Very sad. I love yeah. the Little Free Library. Um, those things are, they feel like one of like, they're like from a different era almost. Yeah. It feels like, you know, it's like, I don't know if you've got It's like a nice many... little community art project. Yeah, and they're really prevalent out here. And like, you just have them and... Um, I always, you always look in them and sometimes they're like painted nicely and oftentimes they have they're good decorated. things. They're decorated. Sometimes they have like, it's almost better when they have like bad things. <laughs> like you go in there and it's like, you know, a bunch of books you've just never even knew could be books. You know, it's like manuals to like Microsoft Office 2004 and like, <laughs> and like next to like a, you know, a cowboy romance next to like, but like sometimes it's really good. I can remember I pulled, um. I pulled a Lydia Davis book, hardcover, out of hey. there once. I found a copy of House of Leaves in there once. Um, hey. And it's fun to, like, you know, whenever you get extra copies of something, whether it's through some book event or whether, you know, whatever, just to kind of drop those off. And it, it just feels like a really nice, non-transactional thing. And I think it's a wonderful legacy to leave behind. So I just realized that neither of us have a little free library in front of our house. Uh, but I have realized, like, as an extension of the fact that I am a very uh, jealous person, that I can't give away my books because I'm like a little golem. Uh, so I think it is up to you. So I'm going to sign you up for a little yeah, free yeah. library. No, I need to. I've got plenty that can, you know, that are just kind of sitting there. So With uh, my husband, one of our first conversations as a married couple post-wedding was I told him that it might be time to consider another bookshelf. Uh-huh. 
and he go? just raised his eyes, <laughs> raised his eyebrows and just like blinked and was like, where yeah. are we going to put it? Right. I was like, don't worry about that, sunshine. Right. I got this. Yeah. You're a podcast wife now. <laughs> Man, you know that show Basketball Wives? No. Have you ever seen that show? It's like a show about the Basketball wives. Basketball wives? Yeah, it's a very self-descriptive title, actually. Um, that it, sounds yeah. like it's based off of the kind of like British soap footballers' wives. Oh, it, I mean, yeah, definitely sounds like that. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're going to make a reality show out of the plus ones of all podcasters, and it's going to be horrifically boring television, so don't watch it. Um your wife will just be like saving lives and like mine will just be yeah. watching like Rachel Maddow on a 65 inch television screen. It'll be great. Yeah. Okay. So the next one here, um, this is from Publishers Weekly and I'm going to read it aloud and then, and then tell you what I think here. Barnes & Noble's monthly book buzz newsletter does not name a book of the month selection for October, but the chain does point to a new indicator for the upcoming midterm elections. They analyzed sales of political books this year and identified three states carried by Hillary Clinton in 2016 that now, quote, were more likely to buy books positive toward President Trump, Nevada, New Hampshire, and Colorado. In contrast, they found two states that Trump won in 2016 in which readers now favor books critical of Trump, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. Um, so we're using now book sales to do election predictions. Um, which When I, did Barnes & Noble I get can't. purchased by 538? I was going to say, there's, I see no reason why any of these conclusions drawn from um, book sales or book publishing could ever be considered... Uh, faulty or anything. It's a perfect indicator of all things. Um, Entirely correct. Mostly it just felt like, to me, so I was actually thinking about it, not that we have to like get in the reads here, but I found the prospect of like, oh man, you know, people are suddenly buying cri books critical of this or that as like an indicator or something. And to me, it mostly felt like a, um, like a function of the publishing as opposed to like, um, any like true intention of people or in this case as mm. you want to describe the voters like I don't know like I can think of I can think of a really popular book for instance that is specifically about Wisconsin from a progressive angle and it's like okay so maybe more people are buying books like that because there just happened to be a really good book out about it that was published well you know what I mean like it feels less to me about like any sort of preference stated from a neutral position and more maybe a function of like this is what got published with any sort of regional hook, you know? Mm. I don't know. Like, it just basically, I think that these kind of correlations are kind of lazy and silly, but related. Um, yeah. Everybody should make sure that they are voting in the <laughs> midterm elections. Please vote. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, following this, Llewellyn has closed their last remaining fiction imprint, their Midnight Ink, that does like crime thriller mysteries, et cetera. You ever sell to them or anything? You no, ever talk to them? But like, no, yeah. but that's that's oh, it's sad. Not, yeah, I mean, it's it's sad anytime an imprint like this closed. I was just curious if you'd ever worked with it. I never have. No, um, but bummer because, like, that's one less place. So, yeah. bumpskies. All right. Uh, next, finally, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret is being made <laughs> into a movie. And let me tell you, folks, this is about 20 years too late for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm furious. You're, are you putting it in the good or bad basket, though? Furious. So in the bad. No, just like indignant you're like in the anger, indignant basket. You're angrily throwing it in the good basket. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, Judah Woo meant a lot to me growing up, and now I already know uh, what it's like to think that you're going to be the last person in your friend group to get your period. So thanks, Judy. Hmm. I don't need you anymore. <laughs> Next, uh, Pan America is suing Trump. Yeah, that was good. Um, you know, they're suing him um, because of 
basically his treatment and rhetoric toward um, you know journalists and basically his entire stance that the free press really shouldn't be so free. Um, I thought Jennifer Egan, who leads PEN America, wrote a very does nice. Does she really? Yeah, she does. And she wrote she wrote a piece in LitHub, I think it was, kind of announcing the suit. And I thought it was eloquently put. You should look it up. Um, maybe we'll link it out. So um, it at least seems like, you know, who knows? I mean, I doubt anything will come of this sort of thing. But it's good to take a stand. You know, it's good to declare yourself on the side of something. So mm. I was happy to see that. Coming up next, there was a there was slash is a phishing scam uh-huh. that is going around, like taking manuscripts from like publishers. Hmm. Yeah. So you know I love a scam. Yeah. But this this sounds like maybe it was not. This is not like a lighthearted fun scam. So I'm going with bad. I'm going with bad as well. <laughs> uh, on the other side of things, um, well, we were off enjoying wedded bliss. Uh, the Frankfurt Book Fair happened. Good. I I'm, think that Frankfurt is good. I think it's good too, but I'm putting it in the bad column because we were not there. <laughs> Even yeah, though did the... we didn't want to go because we were busy and we decided not to go because we were busy, but I'm still putting it in the bad column. How could they even have the conference, honestly? Without, without us? us? Yeah, like it feels like it should have been canceled. But... I know. Uh, and finally, uh, there was recently discovered a doodle in the margins of a book from, I think, the 1700s of a chicken wearing trousers. <laughs> so, <laughs> first of all, this is an incredible um list of news items we've decided to cover in a row here um so (laughs) great job by us um but this is the sort of thing that i like believe very fervently is going to happen to this era like the thing that like the people many many you know centuries from now should there be more centuries than you know past 2040 um bleak (laughs) um they're gonna find like just old scribblings and tweets and other things that just have no bearing on anything whatsoever. Um, so um, I'm here for the chicken trouser doodles as like an important cultural artifact that somehow says that unlocks the keys to a hidden society. So um, all, all cheers for that. It's a, it's a good little bit of archaeology, I suppose. Wonderful. Well, okay, that brings us to the end of our the quick, our quick three-week blast through publishing news. I feel like we did everyone okay. Everyone feeling good? Is everyone feeling like they now know what happened yeah. um, in the book world? Because you were absolutely lost without us because with us went your internet connection and your login to Twitter. We haven't done very many segments where as we're doing them, I feel certain that our listener is just enraged at us. <laughs> but I feel I feel that way maybe right now and that's fine. Um, you know, we're it's there's a lot of feelings when you come back, you know. Yeah. It's like coming back from the war and things yeah. just aren't the same. That's exactly know? what yeah. that is. Um, so... Um, anyway, we're talking about something a little more serious and murky, and I think a lot more prevalent than anyone in publishing or writing, and I do want to make it um, about writing too, I think, um, is willing to ever kind of discuss, and that is the issue of burnout. I guess the reason I was kind of thinking about it specifically as maybe even like a topic for the show is because over the weekend, it kind of hit me that... I haven't truly loved like, like when, for instance, when we first started the show, right? Mm-hmm. We used to talk about like the books that would make us want to 
you know, dry, that, that were just so good that we almost got like angry about it. You know what that I mean? That you like, went the and one, cleaned your fridge. Yeah, like the ones that were just like, that just like knocked you out. And like you see, you know, this kind of rhetoric online. So what I'm hearing is that wrecked. your fridge is really dirty. Yeah, the fridge is dirty lately, which is to say that I just haven't really loved a published book in a published book in a long time. Obviously, I work on manuscripts that I believe very much in, and you know, and that, but that feels different to me. Um, but it's just it's been a while since I've like really read something that's like resonated with me, and I was thinking, okay, so that's due to one of you know a few different reasons, right? Like either I'm reading books that aren't very good which seems doubtful right like right. most of these books I, I think that it's fair to say that most of the books i've read are incredibly good yeah i mean i try to read the things i mean i guess i'm basing that off of like most of the things i read are things that you know i try to read like the current contemporary fiction stuff that many other people who i respect think are very good and i typically whose tastes i find to be in line with my own you know um so, but or there's something about my own attitude toward reading and you know obviously as someone who works in books that has shifted in a way that's making me enjoy reading less Mm, and that's kind of where I landed and I found that that more than any sort of like you know therapy session we're about to have it just felt like an interesting creative problem yeah and so my question to you as it kind of as I we kind of round into the topic here is like how do you feel your attitude toward work whether it's good or bad or anywhere in between um, whether you're feeling especially busy, whether you're feeling you're, you're on top of things, do you ever find that that changes the way that you read or take in art, you know? Constantly. Yeah. Like, I I have a direct correlation with how agenting is going. There's a direct correlation with that and then how I consume media on my off hours, mm-hmm. yeah, right? And absolutely. so... Like, when I am really, really overwhelmed, I watch a ton of television mm-hmm. because it's it kind of, like, gives me, it keeps me, like, up to date and keeps me, like, happy with, with narrative and keeps me engaged with that while also not being, like, stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, when I am feeling a little bit better about things, <laughs> yeah. uh, I find that I branch out quite a bit into different types of books Mm -hmm. and so i as you know if you are a listener i read the bulk of my uh books for fun via audio because i'm an aural listener but also because um it lets me multitask Mm -hmm. and it doesn't make me feel guilty which Mm -hmm. is like that's one of the things that like i don't want to bookend with like the burnout question because like you will always feel guilty as somebody who works in publishing about like reading for fun when you could be using that creative energy to read a manuscript like that's always gonna happen if you sat down right now and said okay i'm gonna do nothing but read my pile of manuscripts i have to read how long could you think you could go how long could i go (laughs) um rob like before like stopping for the day or like before like you literally did any other like if it was suddenly your full-time job to do nothing but read manuscripts that was it. That was your only responsibility. How how long would it take you to get through your pile? A few months. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It'd take like, me it months. Would take, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it would take me months. Um, but that's okay because like you don't you know like read through everything, and I've just yeah. kind of accepted that that that's always going to be fine, <laughs> right? Um, but kind of beyond that, you know, I I have a really hard time 
reading a published book and falling like a like a physical published book and falling head over heels in love with it unless I am physically removed from my place of occupation. Hmm. Like I need to be in a cabin or not necessarily even like on vacation, but like a coffee shop, like somewhere where I don't do work. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I also find that the stuff I want to read is a lot different. So when I'm feeling like this year, Eric, I've been reading a lot of works that are kind of not a bummer, but uh-huh. like works that are more subtle and a lot quieter. Yeah. If that makes sense. So why do you think that is? And you're saying quiet well, so quieter than what? Like quieter than like a big fun YA fantasy novel that Which like is, is an of... adventure. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Right. So like I've been reading a lot of like introspective literary fiction. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like a lot of stuff like that that is more focused on people and their thought processes rather than like big like stressful epics because those seem very stressful to me (laughs) so i was thinking about going to like a bookstore today to just pick something new i'm between books right now um i just you know i decided to set something down actually i didn't finish it uh, which is a new thing for me in itself that's new to that's Um, new for me too i've never i never have set i never set books down midway through but i finally did just because Probably because of all the forces we're talking about, right? Just like I just ran out of tolerance for it. But um, I I was thinking about going to the store and it just felt like work. Yeah. Because like, it like, is. Yeah, because you go, you go to the store and you look at the table and the first thing I do anytime I get in one of these stores is you just start analyzing, right? And you just start like thinking about, okay, what's what's out here? What's, you know, what's being sold? How? Why is what's it here? popular? Why is it here? What's, you know, who's doing what? Um, you know, are you keeping track of like trends and all that kind of stuff? And it just felt exhausting and overwhelming and made me kind of want to like watch a TV show, you know, and I have great suggestions if you want any. No. And I, and I guess like, it just made me think that what I really want to do is, um, like I want like a cleanse of like my own literary tastes is Mm -hmm. where I'm at. It's like. I because it's been so long since I've really enjoyed a published book. I'm like wondering if maybe what I need to do, and you tell me if you've ever done this recently or at all, just like really overtly set out and take stock of what sort of books you actually like. Does that make sense? Like, because you kind of like people when they read, you know, they naturally gravitate towards certain things, and I feel like it's a very for a lot of people, it's a very natural. Um, you know, you go and you, for whatever reason, you know, maybe you pick books, whatever your process is for picking things, whether you go by recommendation or whether you go by what's in a certain shelf at a certain, you know, place or any, anything like that, you know, you've got some process for how to pick. And it's like, I want to do like a full audit of the ways I'm picking out books to read. And it's just, it just makes me, and I think the reason it connects to kind of this idea of burnout is because I'm just not drawing energy from reading right now and some of that is just because you know we're swamped especially having you know coming out of a very busy you know year of you know wedding stuff and all that kind of thing you kind of get you know backlogged a little bit and suddenly you know things are behind and you got to do a million different things and suddenly the idea of reading feels a little tougher you know but like I almost want to use it as a chance to just like hit the reset button on my own taste in a lot of ways and I'm interested if in 
whether you've ever felt like that and what you did when I, you did. I feel like that often, but I feel like the audit is something that can only happen at the end of a process. So yeah. like, okay, so I feel like burnout for somebody who works in publishing. I think for agents and editors, it manifests in a lot of ways as not wanting to read or not super enjoying what it is that you're reading, mm -hmm. okay? Um, for writers, I think it manifests in terms of, you know, leaving a project or mm -hmm. getting writer's block and that sort of thing, right? But so the problem is, is that like when you're writing, like having writer's block is horrible and awful and it's not fun and I don't wish it on anybody. But you can kind of put that down and pick that back up. Like your writing isn't and your writing process is only as visible to the public as you make it mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. but for somebody who is an editor or an agent our career is made out of properly articulating what it is that we want and what we're looking for yeah. like when you as an yeah. agent go and you know you have a nice call or you have a lunch with an editor and they're like great so what do you represent like you have to essentially give an elevator pitch of what your taste is and i think the problem is like burnout is hard because you're losing enjoyment, but it also is difficult because I think this job strangles your desire as an individual to grow your own tastes. Yeah, because right? it's so public. You're, yeah, you're because, constantly performing it. Yeah, and you spend so much of your time telling people and telling yourself that you like something. And there's not really time for reflection or revision of what it is that you're looking for. So like a big example for me is when I started to agent, I was not interested kind of, I don't think I ever explained this to people, but I was not interested in any way, shape or form in a romantic story, not romance, but a story with romance in it that didn't end with a happily ever after like that kind of like ambiguous mm -hmm. like that ambiguous yeah. um like we had this experience and now it's not going to work for whatever reason like that that kind of like bittersweet pain um i didn't want anything to do with it and now that is really intriguing to me and i seek it out um, you know, like even in my fantasy and my science fiction and my YA, like I wanted everybody to like kiss at the end and like be happy and whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now it's not that's no longer the case. And I don't think that that is a product of burning out. I think that's just a product of like being deeper into this business, being older, being, you know, the, the landscape of publishing changing. I think there's a lot of reasons why I'm now interested in that. But that kind of. The, the fact that you lose interest in things, it could also just be that your tastes are changing and you can't and you haven't really been given an opportunity to reassess, which I feel like is also it's not technically burnout, but I feel like it can be it should be spoken about in the same breath. Well, I think like that's actually um, that's a really interesting point, because. We're told so often, um, you know, as agents, we think so frequently of ourselves in terms of like these hard and fast categories that we work in, right? Like I'm a whatever kind of agent and I do this kind of book. And as a result, you're supposed to like, you know, stick hard and fast to these things. And it's not really a framework that allows for the very normal thing I feel of just like deciding you like other stuff, Yeah. you know, and what that ends up meaning 
is that as that's happening, if it starts to happening, and maybe you know you start keep reading in a category, and suddenly the things aren't resonating in the way they used to, you can start to feel kind of bad about it. Like there's a guilt. Like maybe it's your fault. Yeah, it's not yeah, the exactly, book's fault. Exactly. And it's, I think that it's just like it. It's, it gets back to that point you made, which I think is such a good one. That there's this idea, you know, from our position where we have to constantly communicate mm-hmm. the things that we like and don't like you know, with regard to the kind of books we're reading. And it makes it difficult to actually take, like, an honest, quiet stock of things. There's um, not a lot of room for personal growth, and there's not a lot of room for, like, literary criticism. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's just it's just interesting. And, like, it, I, I guess it feels, um, you know, for whatever reason, probably because I spend, you know, lately as much time as I have, um, you know, editing, you know, client books and things like that, um, it makes it, it makes it just naturally tougher to want to read at the end of the day. You know, like I think a lot of times, um, you, want, you know, the the big disclaimer everyone always makes, or the big bit of conventional wisdom that everyone always overturns when they start talking about what agents do all day is they say, well, we don't, you know, we don't read all day. You know, we do all this communicating and emailing and stuff all day, and I wish we did. Pe- well, people, um, you know, and people, I think at this point, kind of understand that, but. It actually the last few um, you know the last few weeks to a month, I actually have been spending all day staring at Microsoft Word, you know, because I've just been editing. Like I've been really digging into that, and it creates this situation where you get done with that, and I don't want to stare at another book. You know what I mean? And it's actually a great argument, like you're saying, for for audiobooks or something that can kind of push against that. Like doing the same thing you were just doing for work all day, except now for supposed fun, you know? And like it gets at that idea, I think, of um, like working in a field you're supposed to be passionate about, you know? Yeah. Like There's working, that adage about yeah. like do do what you love yeah. and you'll never work a day in your life. Just the is stupidest bullshit. fucking thing that anyone's ever said. Yeah. And it's, I think that, 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 but that'll really play tricks on you. You know what I mean? Like You're supposed to love it all the time. And if you're not, then you feel guilty about it. And it's this weird shame spiral. It's like, you know, I was talking to, um, I was talking to a writer friend um, the other day. And we were sitting there and we were eating. And he's someone, just for context, who, um, he's a freelance writer, you know, works a day job, you know, at a, um, like a publishing-esque type of place. Um, but he, you know, he's a writer and he writes um, for pretty consistently for major outlets as a freelancer. Um, has what I think a lot of, you know, f- freelance people would view as kind of a, at least a fruitful, if not, you know, wildly successful, you know, writing career. And he was talking to me and his big thing was there's like this mind trick that always happens to creative professionals where you go to you go to your job all day, right? That isn't the thing that you love. And you spend all day there and you, you're on this mindset, right? Where it's like as soon as you get through with this, then you can go do the work you actually like, right? Then you can go sit down and write all night or then you can go, you know, like, you know, if there's a lot of agents, you know, out there who, you know, have to work another job, right, to make, you know, to make ends meet. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people you know, end up having, feel that way too. It's like, oh man, as soon as I get this other stuff done, then I can like really focus in on the agenting or whatever it is. But the thing of it is, is that that thing you're trying to get to, that carrot at the end of the stick is also work. It totally is. It's also work. And so then you get there and work, no matter how much you theoretically enjoy it, is, it's hard and it's tiring and it can make you, 
you know, and it can drain you. And you just end up feeling like you're never not working, even when you're supposedly doing the thing that you've kind of structured your day and your time around creating as much space for as possible. Mm-hmm. And it it can have the effect. I know the way he was talking about it, and it sounded so familiar to other creatives I've talked to, and at times my own life. Like, you can end up in this place where you just don't you don't want to engage with any of it. You know what I mean? You just want to do other things. And like you know, to talk about how um, how burnout affects people creatively. Like one thing you know. I've heard people say a lot, it's like, any, you know, if you're a writer and you're like trying to break into certain magazines or whatever it is, like there does hit a point where you stop reading those magazines just because you're tired of it being someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's always that stupid thing that happens in media Twitter where like some big new piece comes out and like all anyone does all day is just tweet compliments about it. You know, and that can be so grating, I know, to so many different types of people. And it just makes you, like, not want to read the thing that, like, everyone is talking about. You just get, even if you might theoretically enjoy it. And it's just, it can have, it can have this effect where you just don't want to engage in the way that you know you theoretically like to. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know what the, I don't know what the balance to find with it is because there's not really a fix in sight. You know, it's not like... All these, you know, it's not like every freelance writer is going to find a staff job somewhere tomorrow. It's not like, um, you know, those of us who agent and do other things are going to automatically find professional fulfillment at the end of a to-do list. You know, tomorrow, you know, like things. <laughs> There's are gonna, an end of a to-do list. Yeah, I know, but like things are hard, and they're going to stay hard. You know, with regard to kind of this kind of professional frustration or this professional workload. You know, and so I'm just I'm interested in what people working in the gig economy and trying to be creative Mm -hmm. under the conditions we're currently placed in like what is the solution like how do you recharge yourself how do you find the space to do what i think i need to do which is like really take stock again of like what sorts of things i like you know within so for me i feel like i mean we're we've been talking about burnout this whole time but i feel like it's important as you a creative are here and listening to us you consider that there's two types of burnout one is being burnt out yourself as Mm -hmm. a as a creative and you know it doesn't necessarily have to do with other people's work but has a lot to do with your own and I think like a pretty fair and common piece of wisdom as a good starting point is to do self-care you know Mm -hmm. like it's 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 okay give yourself grace like take a bath sleep an extra hour instead of getting up and writing because maybe you need that sleep you know like take a shower like all that stuff is very very common um definitely shower uh but in terms of the fatigue when it comes to the media that surrounds the work that you love and the work that you're doing i think there's a few more options right Mm -hmm. and so number one is if you can Take a break. Like if you're an agent and, you know, another month won't kill you, stop reading partials. You know, like just take a little bit of a break. Number two is shock your system a little bit. And that can happen in a lot of ways. You know, if you are a hardcover reader, switch to a mass market paperback or Mm -hmm. switch to an audiobook, switch to an ebook. If you are a reader of chewy, difficult books, like read a super awesome middle grade novel or read romance or read something that has 
different structure and different focus on on the characters and just do something that's unfamiliar. You know, um, you can like as a shock to my system, I do a lot of memoirs. Mm hmm. So that's like my yeah. so one of my we did a couple of months ago from from the Loon account, we had, you know, what is our favorite book this year that we've read this year? Mm-hmm. And my favorite was Welcome to the Goddamn Ice Cube by Blair Braverman, oh, yeah. which yeah. is a sports memoir because this woman is it's her memoir about like becoming a, a musher, like somebody who does like like Bolto style, like sled dog racing. <laughs> And, like, that is so, so, so different than anything that I normally read. And it really was, like, I'm sure, like, in any other time, like, if I were to take a six-month break from everything publishing and then come back and I read all the same books that were on my list for this year, I'm sure that wouldn't be my favorite book. Right. But it really, like, got to me because it was so different than everything else. And so I came out of that book feeling hopeful and refreshed and you know seeing connections in yeah. pieces of information and relationships that I wouldn't normally see and I you know and that carried on to multiple other books after that well so that's to me that's that's so cool and that feels like the vein that I think a lot of the people I talk to and I know that me during certain spots you know what would be the best salve because one thing about this like and we you and i talk about this privately all the time too which is that like lots of the thing burning us out or like making us mm-hmm. tired or whatever is that we just love we love doing this and it's just like like so much no, you know what i mean like you, <laughs> no but really though like you work on these things that you care so deeply about and it's like you just start trying to solve these things and you start trying to do this work and you start trying to do these things and it comes from this place of like really really getting a lot out of it you yeah. know and so like i don't i don't want to like, like i you don't want to stop i don't want to stop i don't want to take a break what i want to do is like solve the riddle you know what i mean and so yeah. that that's a question of i think while staying as busy as we are like trying to like tweak a little and you know find the right so it's it's just i think there's such a it's a hack you're hacking your own brain it's just such an interesting i think tie between i almost said wed wedding between um <laughs> A tie between, um, like, one's own, you know, creative preferences and their energy levels with regard to work. And, you know, we talk about, um, you know, publishing being, you know, business and art at the mm-hmm. same time. This It feels a little bit like that intersection on, like, the more personal level. You yeah. Know? And, and I think, you know, going, circling back to, to bring it, bring it around to that, that desire for you to audit yeah. Right. To audit your own taste. I think so. I I push myself out into, you know, weird and new genres every few months. Yeah. And I always come out of it with not necessarily even a different taste, but like a clearer view of how what I'm looking for has changed. Right. Um, and so, you know, I have I have recently come to the realization that I really, really, really love highly literary works with speculative elements. Right. And that was something that I never would have looked for before. Like before I would have probably just gone, you know, like I love space explosions. Boom, boom. Except they don't make sound in space because it's a vacuum. But you know what I mean? Like, you you know, like I'm really interested in the big and the cinematic and the yeah. fun and the exciting. But like. 
after exploring into these other areas, I find that there are these interesting connections in between genres that I didn't know before. And there's always a few books that bridge that that are the that are for me now the most exciting. And so if anybody who's listening right now has suggestions for YA fantasy novels for Eric to read, <laughs> line Man. them up. Man. Um, because I'm gonna send him home with a bunch of books. Um, but yeah, so that's you know, all of this is to say, like, don't worry about us. Like, we're not, you know, horribly burned out and about to like leave agenting or anything. It's just like no, quite the academically, no, it, yeah. It's a fascinating dis like discussion and dissection of like how our brains work when you're in a creative part of the world that you love and also it's hard. Well, it's like I'm gonna do this for you know, 50 some more years you know what i mean like eventually you have to kind of figure out how to recharge yourself on the fly and it's just such an interesting thing um but yeah, yeah. we'd love to see if any of you else any of you have figured out other hacks yeah uh love to hear them um but for me i'm gonna go buy a bunch of mass markets <laughs> uh and yeah so let's transition into our final section of the night which is our taloon it may concern mm -hmm. okay this is a good one you haven't read it because I didn't let you read it, you but it's a fun one. You never let me read them, yeah. I never let you read them because I like it when you're surprised. Because you make like you make your eyebrows go all the way up to your to your hairline. Mm. Okay. Taloon, it may concern. I used to be good friends with a number one best-selling novelist who is near the top of our mutual genre. The friendship ended badly, in great part due to this person's bigotry. They said some pretty hateful things to me about my identity. Additionally, while I was in the inner circle, I learned that several other writers of our genre who are extremely well regarded online for their progressive stances on social justice preyed sexually on someone vulnerable. I'm not querying my first novel and feeling pretty apprehensive. I want to be a professional, but the idea of having to some way, someday schmooze with these people really upsets me. I know I can't avoid them completely, but is it reasonable to hope that my future agent would be willing to help me quietly dodge them when I can? If so, how can I bring that up in the call without seeing, seeming gossipy or unprofessional? These writers are famous, and I'm, well, no one. Will an agent even believe me? Sincerely, just wants to write. Oh, boy. Um, so I guess for me on this, and it is a, it's such a real concern here, you know, like this is such a, I think, really one of the great questions obviously of mm -hmm. our you know of this kind of period and for me the first thing that jumps out at me if I'm looking at giving like concrete advice you know to this person is is I would just say like query the book you know yeah. like the like take this take this step by step like you're you're talking here that um you know you're feeling apprehensive about um you know getting a project out there in front of agents and stuff and um, because of, you know, the potential for interactions down the line. And I would just say, like, start, you know, start with step one, which is getting your book in front of someone you might theoretically want to then have a conversation with, you know. And then, you know, as that kind of progresses and you find someone who's interested and you get on the call, and I would say that, um, like, and you, and you tell me if you disagree with this. Mm -hmm. I think that within the context of that, um, you know, that call when an agent and a writer kind of get together and they start kind of conversing and it seems like everybody's on the same page and they start having that conversation about, well, here's kind of not only what we'll do with this book, but 
what we'll kind of do, you know, what we can kind of strategize for with your career, all that kind of thing. Um, it feels, that does feel like the right context yeah. to me, to be honest. I mean, I think, you know, if it's done in kind of a respectful way, if as you're kind of discussing, here's where I want to be and what I want to do, if you are someone who voiced a concern and said, you know, this, you know, I happen to know this experience and it makes me, you know, uneasy to be, you know, around certain people within, you know, not only the industry, but within my particular category mm-hmm. of the industry. To me, that that feels relevant. And I think that um, whether or not it's appropriate or not, it's very clearly essential to your own ability to function within right. this industry. And so in that regard, it is something that I think should be brought up. And I don't think that it'll sound, you know, after you've, you know, maybe it's not like topic number one in the query letter, you know, but, <laughs> but like with it, once there's been a little bit of a back and forth and you, um, you've kind of established, um, you know, this at least baseline that you're two people who want to work together. I do think that you could bring it up and just say like, look, you know, I'm interested in all these opportunities, but there is one part of this that makes me a little bit uneasy as someone who wants to help me with my career. Do you think that we could, you know, keep an eye on this? Like, because the truth is, if the answer to that question is no, you probably don't want to work with that agent. Like, it's right. probably not going to be a relationship you're going to find fruitful. So, I guess for me, like, it is something that you bring up. Yeah. After a little, you know, as like, you know, down the line part as part of that conversation. But what do you think? I feel a little bit differently. Okay. Um, and the just to just to assuage just wants to write. Um, know that a good agent will do this for you. Like they will yeah. uh, be your diplomat when needed. Yeah. Right. And they're there as that first line of defense. Um, and in terms of what your genre is, like no genre is that small. Like unless you are planning on doing this conference circuit that this other person plans on doing and you're going to be known as the conference person, which judging from your signature, that's probably not what you're going to be focusing on. Um, there's a lot of ways to be in that. There's a lot of people in this business. There's a lot of room for it. And there's a lot of ways to do this without having to like bump up against this other person. Right. Um, or the, the people from the other yeah. circle. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of that, that's fine. Whether you should bring it up in the call or not, I think that really will depend. Um, it'll depend on the rapport that you build during the call. But for me, quite honestly, the call is an opportunity for me as an agent to really explore what your goals and desires are as a writer in terms of yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, I'll sure we'll talk a little bit about where I see your book in the market and how we can kind of like build your career. But that is based like those questions and those those thoughts are based around what you have already said. Okay, and so in terms of the hey agent that I'm just now talking to for the first time, this is a personnel problem I'm having in this industry. Like for me, it would be enough in the call to say, you know, like, okay, this this author has some sort of marginalized identity. Mm -hmm. Right. And it would be worth in the call for this author to say, you know, somebody who can support me in this is, you know, especially because I'm writing in a genre that is not very um, supportive of this identity like uh-huh. it's really important that somebody is standing there with me and will help me and protect me 
And then you can say, you know, like we can get into the details later, but they're not fully pertinent to, you know, this book right now. So it sounds like then our our difference here isn't even really that big of a difference. Yeah, it's, it's not just, that big of one. Because you're still suggesting that the as maybe without like getting into the you know all the specifics, you do think it's worth as kind of a conceptual idea bringing up, like saying yeah. that you know I'm this person who has this you know concern about um you know existing in this you know kind of professional space and i want a partner who can help me navigate that space so that that to me feels in line with what i'm saying too i think um which is that it is something worth bringing up because it is and i think your line too about like you know specifics as they you know as As they they come up and become pertinent I think is a kind of is actually a really good way to think about it. Yeah. So because where where those specifics would become really pertinent is like, okay, so when you sell a book for the first time or when you sell a book in general, the publisher, usually the publicity and marketing department, will send you an author questionnaire, Mm -hmm. which is an extraordinary, an extraordinarily long and exhausting document where it's basically like name everywhere you've ever lived, name all the bookstores you have, you know, connections with. Name all of the people who are writers who you've ever met that like would be willing to give you a, you know, endorsement. Like it's kind of all of this stuff. And so like I think you should leave it up to your agent about whether or not you should tell that house about your specific um, animosities with these other big authors. Um, But it's definitely something that you need to tell them between the call and when, you know, people start talking about how to market your book. Because it could be something where, you know, an agent will go, hey, you know, and I've done this for my authors where it's, hey, it's really important that, you know, this person's identity is is represented in this way or, you know, it's not being concealed. And like we've had those conversations and usually people are fairly understanding about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a conversation to be had later in terms of strategy for marketing a book. But in terms of signing an agent like i don't care if you have history like as long as you know like it seems like this is you weren't the one attacking people so i'm good like this person seems (laughs) to have there's a certain apprehension in this letter that suggests that this person thinks that maybe feeling this way might be a turnoff to agents yeah and i would say that if it is you don't want to work with that person yeah and it shouldn't be and i think you should feel fine bringing it up in the kind of broad strokes we're discussing. Well, you're also talking to two agents who uh, were threatened a lawsuit from another agent by calling them out. So, you know, like, obviously, we're not afraid to uh, make enemies. Um, But I think that, like, if that is especially, like, if you're looking for somebody who has that sensitivity, like, pay attention to that as you query. And, you know, really use that call don't don't look at it as a foregone conclusion that somebody is going to be offering representation at the end of it. Yes, 99% of the time that's what happens, but really look at it as an interview for the both of you because you want to make sure that you're signing with somebody that fits because somebody who puts you in danger is not a good fit for you. Yep. So there you go. Um, good luck just wants to write. We're wishing the best. Um, and, you know, also, like maybe this person who is you know, shitty and filled with bigotry won't be around forever by the time, you know, maybe not by the by the time yeah. that your book comes out, because a whisper network is a hell of a thing. Not saying you need to, you know, go start rumors, but um, in this way, just 
judging from somebody who has mobilized it to great effect, um, it's something worth considering. But again, if you just want to write, you just want to write and you should in no way feel like you should or have to say something. So just get your book out there. I know there are a lot of people who would really, really want to read it. Okay. So thank you so much for joining us on this, our first episode back now with both of us wed. Um, Remember, we've got all three special episodes coming to you this month yet. Uh, Please tell us what you are wearing for Halloween, what you're dressed as. (laughs) Um, Eric, you still need to work on your costume. I don't don't have a costume. Uh, But we will have all these special episodes that you can listen to while you're taking your kids trick-or-treating or or taking yourself trick-or-treating. I don't judge. (laughs) Eric does. I I definitely judge. Yeah. That is a topic for a different show. Yeah, that's because you just, like, come over here and eat the candy. Yeah, that's true. You trick-or-treat at my house. (laughs) That is true. All right. Anyway, we will see you for a regular episode next Monday. Bye.